Let's pray before we come to God's word and commit everything into the hands of the Lord. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for another opportunity, Lord, to come into your tabernacle, Lord, and worship you, Lord. And Lord, we've come, Lord, not to hear from man tonight, Lord, but we've come to hear, Lord, what you have to say to your people. For this is your word, Lord. We worship you, Lord. We give you all adoration and glory, Lord. We come before you, Lord, a thrice holy God, humbly before you, Lord. And we ask, Lord, tonight, Lord, that you will have your way among your people, Lord. Lord, you will take over this meeting, Lord, and have your way. Lord, we ask, Lord, that there'll be souls saved tonight, Lord. We ask, Lord, that backsliders will be restored, Lord. We ask, Lord, for the healing of the body and the healing of the mind, Lord, for you are the same yesterday, today and forever, and you never change, Lord. We glory in your name, Lord, and we give you all praise and honor and glory, Lord, for only you are worthy of it, Lord. Amen. We're turning to John chapter 7. There's only going to be a few verses in John chapter 7, and then the start of John chapter 8. John chapter 7, and the first two verses to start off with. And it reads like this, John chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry or Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. So Jesus was walking in Galilee, and he didn't walk in, in, in Jewry because the Jews already wanted to kill him. The Jews wanted to do away with Christ because the people were turning to Christ and they were veering away from the laws of the Pharisees and they were following the lovely Lord Jesus Christ. And in Judea at this time was the Feast of the Tabernacles. And the Feast of the Tabernacles is a celebration in memory of Israel's journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. And how God provided for them. It happened about October time. So we'd have this festival about October time in Jerusalem in the temple. And they would dwell in booths lit up. So they would be in booths or tents that would be lit up. And that would be a sign of whenever they were in the wilderness. And whenever Christ was providing for them. And they would pour out water as a sign of Christ providing water for his people when they were in the wilderness. So you can imagine, we're in Jerusalem, we're at the temple, and the Feast of the Tabernacles is being celebrated, and they're celebrating God. They're celebrating how God provided the manna. They're celebrating how God provided the water. They're pouring out jugs of water everywhere, all down the temple steps. They're sitting in booze lit up, because Christ was the pillar of light by night and the cloud by day. But the very Christ who provided for them in the wilderness is being rejected by the Pharisees. They want to kill him. They want to do away with him because the people are turning to Jesus and they're wondering, who is this man? No man speaketh like this man. And they're wondering who he is. Down in the chapter of the same chapter, 
we go to verse 14. And Jesus enters the tabernacle. Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the, into the tabernacle, into the temple and taught. So Jesus now enters the temple. And Jesus is teaching in the temple in chapter 7 of John. And as we go on down into 37 and 38, and you can imagine, the people are pouring out the water. The people are in booths, and they're celebrating Egypt, and they're celebrating coming out of Egypt. They're celebrating who delivered them from Egypt. They're celebrating going through the wilderness. And can you imagine Christ? Christ is standing watching it. He's watching the water run down the steps. He's watching them sitting in the booths. And you can hear the conversation about the lovely Lord Jesus Christ. And about the glorious Christ who provided for them in the wilderness. But Jesus is standing in the tabernacle. And Jesus is listening to the conversations. And Jesus is watching. And listening to what's going on. And in John 7, 37 and 38. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come on to me and drink. Christ stands in the middle of the tabernacle, puts out his hands, and says, If any man thirst, let him come on to me and drink. Can you see the symbolism? Can you see what he's saying? They're pouring the water everywhere, the jugs of water. And Christ is saying, Come on to me. Come on to me and drink in verse 37. In verse 38. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the spirit, which they, had, which they that believe on him should receive. You can see the symbolism. The water's flowing everywhere. Christ's looking around him and he cries out. He cries out in verse 37. If any man thirst, let him come on to me. Christ is saying to them, can you not see? Have you not watched my miracles? Have you not listened to my words? You're pouring the water all over the place. You're celebrating how you came out of the wilderness. But I am the water of life. I am he who brought you through the wilderness. I am he who is your God. I am in your midst. And you don't even realize it. You can't even see it. If any man thirsts, let him come on to me. Christ takes up the mantle of the role of divine wisdom to give a glorious gospel invitation to all who hear. The valley talking about its inward parts, the river of living water for the mind, the heart, and the soul. Rivers of living water, the ceremonies of the feast of the tabernacles include pouring out of the water. But Christ cries out, If any man thirsts, let him come on to me and drink. A picture of the life-giving power of the Holy Ghost flowing to and through, all united to him by faith as promised in the Scriptures. Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13 reads, Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13, one verse. And it says this in part of the verse, 
We'll read the whole verse, Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out the cisterns, broken cisterns, that cannot hold the water. In Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13, rejecting Christ for idol worship, that's what that means. The idols were hewn out, the work of the hands, rejecting Christ for idol worship, but the fountain of life rejected for the toil of works and broken cisterns that can't even hold the still water. They would rather hew out broken cisterns with their hands, speaking of idols, idol worship, dumb idols that can't speak, that can't hear, that can't move and can't talk. And they would rather hew them out with their hands. You see, works, works, look what I have done. And these idols couldn't even hold still water. And Christ says, I am the fountain of life. I am the river of life. But you want your works instead of me. It's all about what Christ has done. It's the cross work of Christ. No Pope, no priest, no Buddha, no president, no prime minister. And no king or queen could ever save your soul. Only the lovely Lord Jesus Christ and the shedding of his precious blood, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, only Christ can redeem you. Only Christ can save you. Confession of sins to a priest is blasphemy because the priest is a sinner himself and the priest needs saved. He needs saved. Confess your sins to Christ because only he can cleanse you of your sins. The Pharisees here in chapter 7 would rather have the broken cisterns of their broken hands and their evil works rather than listen to the words of the lovely Lord Jesus Christ. He's crying in the temple. He's shouting out, come on to me. I am the water of life. But no, they'd rather go by their laws. They'd rather go by their religiosity. And they would rather reject Christ. In fact, they would rather kill him because he's leading the people. People are saying, who is this man? And the Pharisees don't like it. They don't like it because their popularity is going downhill. In chapter 8 of John, we'll read the first four verses. In these four verses, we have a kangaroo court. It is unfair, unbiblical, and ungodly. A kangaroo court in John chapter 8. Jesus went on to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. So here we have it again. Jesus is in the temple, and the people are flocking to the temple. Why would you not flock to the temple? God is in the temple. His words are coming out of his mouth. It must have been amazing to sit in the temple and listen to Jesus, the creator, the God-man in the flesh. It must have been wonderful to listen to what he had to say. They flock to the temple and the Pharisees say it and they don't like it. Who is this man? No man speaketh like this man. Who is he? And they're flocking to the temple. Jesus went on to the Mount of Olives 
And early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him. And he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman. Taken in adultery. And when they had sat her in the midst. They say unto him, Master, this woman has taken an adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? The Pharisees cared not about this woman. The Pharisees cared not about this woman. She was brought into the temple. She was thrown at the feet of Jesus. And they said, adulteress, what are we going to do with her? But it was a trap. The Pharisees cared not about the woman. She was being used as a trap between the law of Moses and the law of Rome. Moses' law said that she shall be stoned. And the law of Rome stated no Jews could carry out executions or stonings. So can you see the trap? Can you see the trap? They bring the woman into the temple. The cast her at Jesus' feet. And Jesus is teaching at this point. Jesus is teaching. How, how irreverent. God is teaching in the temple. And the people are gathered round. And the Pharisees walk in. Break up the meeting and throw the adulteress on the floor. It shows you their heart. We have him now. What's he going to do now? He'll not get out of this one. Everybody's here. There's the adulteress. Moses' law says she shall be stoned. The law of Rome says the Jews can't carry out executions. What's he going to do? He's not getting out of this one. They set a trap for Jesus. But to understand John chapter 8, we have to go through some scripture. In verse 5, Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? Let's turn to Leviticus 20 and 10. Just going to go through some scripture to understand what, what this means in John chapter 8. Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 10. And it says this, And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer, and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. So straight away, the Pharisees have brought the woman. But where's the man? The Pharisees are all into the law. The law, the law, the law, the law, the law. And they bring the woman into the temple and they cast her at Jesus' feet. The woman's there. But according to Moses' law, the man should be there too. She didn't do it on her own. Where's the man? Where's the man? So straight away, they've broken the law that they claim to go by. Deuteronomy 22. Deuteronomy 22. 21 and 22. Then, then they shall bring out the damsel to the door of her father's house. And the men of her city shall stone her with stones that she die. Because she hath wrought folly in Israel to play the whore in her father's house, so shalt thou put evil away from among you. If a man be found lying with a woman married to an husband, 
Then they shall both of them die, both the man that lay with the woman and the woman, so shalt thou put away the evil from Israel. So the law clearly states that if the Pharisees were going to do anything at all, they should have brought the man with the woman. So straight away, they've broken the law that they claim to know and they claim to go by. Only the woman was in the temple at Jesus' feet. There was no man. In Jeremiah 17 and 13, it says this, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed, and they that depart from me shall be written in the earth, because they have forsaken me, the Lord, the fountain, of living waters. So there he is again. He's saying that he is the fountain. Of living waters. And all that forsake me. Shall be written. In the earth. But to really get to grips. With what's going on here. And in verse 6 of chapter 8. This they said. Tempting him. That they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down. With his finger. Wrote on the ground. As though he heard them not. We're going to go to Numbers. Numbers chapter 5. Jesus knows the law better than the Pharisees. And he brings them to this scripture. He doesn't speak it. But he acts it. With his finger in the dust. And he writes on the ground. And to understand John chapter 8, we have to understand Numbers chapter 5. And we're going to start reading at verse 16. I'm going to make it as simple as possible. I'm going to break it down so you understand it. Numbers chapter 5 and verse 16. And this was a test of adultery in the law of God in Israel. This was the test of adultery. Listen to the words and I'm going to break it down. And the priest shall bring her near and set her before the Lord. The priest shall bring her near and set her before the Lord. And this woman in the tabernacle in Jerusalem is sat before the Lord. She's at his feet. And the priest shall take holy water in an earthen vessel. And of the dust that is in the floor of the tabernacle, the priest shall take and put it into the water. Now remember that. The dust of the floor of the tabernacle is put into the water. And what did Jesus say he was? He said he was the water of life. The dust of the tabernacle floor comes up again in Numbers chapter 5. And the priest shall set the woman before the Lord. There she is again, she's before the Lord. And uncover the woman's head. And put the offering of memorial in her hands, which is a jealousy offering. And the priest shall have in his hand the bitter water that causeth the curse. And the priest shall charge her by an oath and say unto the woman, If no man have lain with thee, and if thou hast not gone aside to uncleanness with another instead of thy husband, be thou free from this bitter water that causeth the curse. But if thou hast gone aside to another instead of thy husband, and if thou be defiled, 
and some man have lain with thee beside thine husband, then the priest shall charge the woman with an oath of cursing. And the priest shall say unto the woman, The Lord make thee a curse and an oath among the people. When the Lord doth make thy thigh to rot and thy belly to swell, and this water that causeth the curse shall go into thy bowels to make thy belly to swell and thy thigh to rot. And the woman shall say, Amen, Amen, or truly, truly. Sat before the Lord. The woman is sat before the Lord. The holy water. Christ said, if any man thirst, let him come on to me. The divine God, the God-man. Uncovering of her head or the letting of, down of her hair means that she has lost the protection of her husband. It speaks of jealousy in the chapter as well. A jealousy offering in an Exodus 34 and 14. For thou shalt worship no other God for the Lord whose name is jealous. For the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Thy belly to swell, thy thigh to rot, speaking of no seed from the womb. The Pharisees are judging the woman in John chapter 8. But Jesus is now talking to them. The woman is at Jesus' feet. And the Pharisees are going, ah, the adulteress, the adulteress. What are we going to do with her? We have him now. What's he going to do? Moses says, stone him. Stone her. Rome says, you can't. And Jesus doesn't deal with the woman. Jesus deals with them. And he's doing it now in Numbers chapter 5. But who is the woman in John chapter 8? And what does she symbolize? And what does she represent? The woman represented national Israel, the adulterous woman whoring after other gods. Brought before the priest, or in John chapter 8, the great high priest. No covering, her hair let down. The dust speaking of the depravity of the sin. And the dust here in numbers on the tabernacle floor. And so in John chapter 8, Jesus is writing on the tabernacle floor in the dust. No covering speaking of the bill of divorce that God gave Israel. This woman now represents at the feet of Jesus in the tabernacle. She represents national Israel. But God's not dealing with it at the minute. God's dealing with the Pharisees who are accusing her. And God gave national Israel a bill of divorce. And this woman's hair hangs down, not her covering, it's hanging down. And that speaks of no husband. And when Israel was divorced, Israel had no husband. Who is Israel's husband? It's Christ. It's Christ himself. Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3 
verses 6 to 10. And it says this, the prophecy of Jeremiah. The Lord said also unto me in the days of Josiah the king, Hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel hath done? She is gone up upon every high mountain and under every green tree, and there hath played the harlot. There's the harlot. And I said after she had done all these things, Turn thy own to me. But she returned not, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. There's Judah. Jesus is in Judah. And I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committeth adultery, I heard I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. So there it is in Jeremiah. National Israel was divorced. And national Israel had no husband. And national Israel was uncovered and judged. That's God's word. I've just read it. National Israel was judged. Went to whoring after other gods. Went to whoring after broken cisterns. Instead of coming to the river of life. The lovely Lord Jesus Christ. And she was uncovered. Because she had no husband. That's what this woman represents. At the feet of Jesus. On the tabernacle floor. But Jesus not dealing with her yet. Jesus dealing with the Pharisees. He's writing on the ground. And he's eyeballing the Pharisees. He's eyeballing the Pharisees. Isaiah chapter 54 and 5. Isaiah 54 and 5. The prophecy of Isaiah. For thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. The God of the whole earth shall he be called. There it is on the wall, behind us and in front of us. For thy maker is thine husband. He's the husband of who? The Lord of hosts is his name. And thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the husband of Israel. And Israel is uncovered. Israel is uncovered. And Exodus 34, one more verse. It's important to go through these to understand where we're going. Exodus 34 and 14. For thou shalt worship no other God, small g. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. So here we have the problem. Here we have the problem in John chapter 8. Broken cisterns, idols, the law, the law, the law. They don't even know the law. They tried to bring the law to Jesus. They don't even know the law. They didn't even get it right. They didn't even bring the man. And this is the problem. Israel are whoring after other gods. Instead of coming to Jehovah. The one through God. Can you imagine the hypocrisy? Celebrating the coming out of Egypt. 
coming out of the wilderness. And how did they think they did it? By their own hands. The one who brought them through is in the midst in the tabernacle teaching. And they hate him. They want to kill him. They want to do away with him. The first writing is from Numbers chapter 5. Speaking of the Pharisees directly. And rebuking them. And warning them of their doom. And writing it on the temple floor. That they worship. They worship the temple. They worship the temple. The Pharisees. They don't worship God. They worship their temple. And they're full of their own pride. And they're full of their own self-importance. Pride and self-importance has no place in the work of God. And God won't share his glory with anybody. And neither should he. And neither should he. We hear a lot about pride today. But pride cometh before the fall. And the Lord is not mocked. Verse 7 of the chapter, chapter 8. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. Now this verse is continually misinterpreted. Continually misinterpreted. That verse does not mean that you have to be without sin to to judge somebody. Because that would do away with the law courts. It would be no use. That would do away with the law courts. It does not mean that you have to be sinless. Because there's only one who was sinless. And that was Christ. And we need law courts. It's, an, it's misinterpreted all the time. Go to Exodus 23 and 2. Exodus 23 and 2. We'll read 1 and 2. Thou shalt not raise a false report. Put not thine hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. So don't be an unrighteous witness. Now what does it mean? Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. Neither shalt thou speak in a case, in a cause, to decline after many to rest judgment. Don't be an unrighteous witness. It means that when you come to judge this person, whoever it might be, say you're on a jury, we'll say that, and this person's being um, accused of uh, adultery. And this first means that if you are a, have committed the same sin yourself, you can't, you can't pass judgment on, on the woman who's committed adultery. Because you've done it too. That's what the verse means. It doesn't mean you have to be sinless. Because there was only one who was sinless. That's what the verse means. In the chapter. In verse 8. Of the chapter. And again he stooped down. And wrote on the ground. So. They're, they're, they're badgering Jesus. They're at him. What are you going to do with her? What are you going to do with her? She's an adulteress. Come on, make up your mind. They think they've got them. The crowds are everywhere. And they're watching. 
What are you going to do with her, Jesus? We have him now. He's trapped. Everybody's watching. Everybody's waiting to see what's going to happen. Matthew 21 and verse 43. Matthew 21 and verse 43 says this. Therefore say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Christ declares judgment on national Israel. The end of its theocracy and temple. The Roman invasion of Titus in AD 70. And the formation of a new people. A God defined by repentance and obedience to the divine king. The gospel went west. The Jews rejected Christ. And the gospel went west. The march of the gospel. The Jews rejected Christ and the Pharisees and their laws and their religiosity. And Jesus says, I'm done with you. I'm done with you. In verse 9 of the chapter, and they which heard it, and listen to the words, and this is the Pharisees who had gathered round to trap Jesus. In verse 9. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And they which heard it. Why did they all go out? What happened? They were pricked in their conscience, the scripture says. Now they were, rebu- they were rebuked by God. And he faced them head on. And he gave them the law. God used the law that they were coming to him with to defeat them. Because he knows the law better than them. So they've been defeated. But they went out one by one and they were pricked in their conscience when they heard it. Why? Well, I would, I would say they were probably all adulterers themselves. I would say so. All these Pharisees and all these holy Joes throwing out the law, the Christ. And they couldn't judge the woman. And we know they couldn't judge. You can't judge in a a court if you're guilty of the same sin yourself. And they couldn't judge the woman. They all filed out of the temple. They all scarpered off with big red faces because they're all probably adulterers themselves, every single one of them. He showed them up for who they are and what they are. He rebuked them. He faced them head on and he sent them packing. Nobody had a word to say. Can you imagine the silence in the tabernacle? Can you imagine the silence in the temple? And the Pharisees are out with the tail between their legs. A rebuke from God with big red faces. And they that heard it being convicted. What were they convicted of? There must have been some sort of sin there. 
by their own conscience, convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one. They were going to convict this woman. But they couldn't. And they were convicted themselves. So it's turned now. It's turned. They came in. We have him now. He's not getting out of this one. The crowds are here. He's beat. But the tables were turned. And the Pharisees went out. Convicted themselves. So now. What are we left with? Now Jesus turns to the woman at his feet. And remember this woman represented national Israel. She had no husband. The adulteress who whored after other gods. Now Jesus turns to the woman at his feet. The Pharisees go out lost. And in their sin. But the woman is saved. Her husband made a way back. From the bill of divorce. Through the cross. Isn't that lovely? Her husband. Her husband is before her. The lovely Lord Jesus Christ. And he made a way back. There was only one way back through the bill of divorce. And that had to be the death. Of the son of the living God on the cross. The sacrificial lamb. There was only one way back. And it had to be through the blood. Of the lovely Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And you know, whenever I I was studying this, the one thing that I couldn't get out of my head and the one thing that thrilled me the whole time I was studying this was the last part of verse 9. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. The temple's cleared out now. The Pharisees have gone. Everybody's left. Except Jesus and the woman. Jesus is left there with the woman. And I thought to myself, isn't it lovely as a believer to get alone with Jesus? I love getting alone with Jesus. Clear the head, the busyness of life, and just worship him. Praise his holy name. And then he starts to speak to you. And you're alone with Jesus. And you can hear the still small voice. Telling you that he loves you. And he gave himself for you. And you're his. But you know. You can get alone with Jesus tonight. If you're not saved. And this tabernacle is full of people. But Jesus could be speaking directly to you. The comforter speaking to you. In the still small voice. And he's saying to you it's time you were saved. Jesus is calling you. Time's short. The sounds of time are winding down. And Jesus is saying to you tonight. It's just you and me. The tabernacle's full of people. It's full of believers. But Jesus is saying, Come on to me, all ye that labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's rest for you tonight in the lovely Lord Jesus Christ.
If you're not saved here tonight, what a saviour. Jesus uses the law to defeat the argument of the Pharisees. One more verse, Deuteronomy chapter 19. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin. In any sin that he sinneth at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. There had to be two or three witnesses to judge this woman. There wasn't any. There's only Jesus. Jesus and the woman. The woman was under condemnation by man, but found mercy at the feet of her great high priest, her prophet, and her king. He made a way back through the cross. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He calls her to repentance. He says, go and sin no more. But he said that he didn't condemn her. What a saviour. No condemnation tonight from the lovely Lord Jesus Christ. But he calls her to repentance. You know, the world will condemn you. You'll not find true friends in the world. The world will condemn you. But the Lord says to you tonight here, if you're not saved, he says, I won't condemn you. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He says, I won't condemn you. He calls you to repentance, but he says, I won't condemn you. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. She calls him Lord. See, the Pharisees couldn't see. The Pharisees couldn't see who this was. And they brought this woman in and threw her at the feet of Jesus. And they're blinded by their pride and their law. But this woman says, When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those that thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. What a saviour. The amazing grace. Amazing grace. Where would we be without the amazing grace of the lovely Lord Jesus Christ? If you're here tonight and you're not saved, maybe the Lord's been speaking to you as his words went forward. And as the Spirit has moved, don't leave it. 
It says in Scripture that my spirit will not always strive with man. If you're being called tonight to repentance, as this woman was, realize who's speaking to you. This woman said, Lord, Lord. She recognized who was in front of her. She recognized who was speaking to her. Recognize tonight, if you're sitting in your seat and the still small voice is in your ear, it's the lovely Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing grace. He's a wonderful saviour. Why would you not accept him? The world will condemn you. Christ says, I won't condemn you. I came to save. I came to seek you. I came to save you. I love you. I give my son for you. You're here tonight and you're saved. But you've gone cold. It's easy to go cold. I've been there. I've done it. But the Lord can restore the years that the locusts have eaten. He's restored many years on to me. It's all what he has done. Praise his holy name. Praise his name. Thank you.